In a small hilltop village in the southwest of France, there's a conclave of lovely old houses tucked behind stone and iron gates dating from the 18th century. One special house sits in the center of a grove of ancient olive, gro ancient olive trees. Another is surrounded by tall cedar hedges. All of these beautiful abodes are not identified by numbers, but by clever names, like La Mas de Ferre Cheval, the House of the Horseshoe, La Bastide de Bonheur, Abode of Happiness, Mas de Ange, the House of Angels, and Mas de Chouette, Home of the Owl. But one in particular speaks to me, simply titled, Eden. Fragrant jasmine entwines the gates, and an enormous cherry tree beckons you in, her branches heavy with sweet fruit. The aroma of the morning's bread just out of the oven perfumes the air, and one can hear the bees buzzing cheerfully around the rose of lavender. Of course, there's a cute white Scottish terrier with a red bandana tied around his neck posted at the gate barking a happy bonjour to all who pass by. I dream of slipping past these gates and entering this lovely Eden. Deep down, every human being longs for Eden. No, it's not a geographic location like the Isle of Fiji or New Zealand or even a hilltop village in France, but rather an interior landscape a spiritual state of being that can extend itself out into our day-to-day -day lives and our vision of a better world. Adam and Eve called it Eden, Moses the Promised Land, the Buddha Nirvana. Jesus referenced it many times in his teaching as the way, the truth, the life, the kingdom within. Eden is beckoning us always, but more than we would like, we are just peeking through the gate instead of making it the home for our soul. It is a challenge to abide in Eden, especially in this imperfect world, a world that is frenetic, increasingly secular, materialistic, unpredictable, often unjust, and always much too short. Some will try to recreate for themselves a man-made version of Eden with money and power, sex and notoriety, many and indulgence. Eventually, it turns to dust before their eyes. You see, Eden isn't achieved. It is experienced from the inside out. It is this mystical feeling that whatever is happening out there, a little of heaven is happening in here. I'm convinced it is God's heart dream that we would live more, if not most of our lives, in that sweet space, that sweet space of peace and contentment, balance and beauty and love. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we are all looking for a deeper, more sacred experience here on earth. I was recently introduced to the writings of St. Hildegard. She was a female polymath a real Renaissance woman living at the beginning of the 12th century. Her resume impresses an abbess, a writer, a composer, 
a philosopher, a theologian, a scientist, a healer, and a saint. She's regarded as the founder of scientific natural history in Germany. And in 2012, Pope Benedict awarded her the prestigious honor, Doctor of the Church. St. Hildegard believed the soul was a hidden garden to be cultivated and tended. She wrote extensively about a greening of the spiritual acreage within us. Think of it as a, a spiritual photosynthesis when we receive the sun and the rain in the form of love and beauty, hope and mercy, a literal blooming can take place within our soul. I love her imagery of being green on the inside because it means that regardless of what is happening outside of me, whatever life circumstances, whatever the season, the living spirit is alive within me. This summer, my family and I did a lot of hiking in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. One particular hike that we all loved was up Granite Canyon in the Tetons. We followed a clear and glacier-cold stream along a path that meandered through a lush forest of pine trees, wild ferns, huckleberry bushes, all with a view of the majestic granite mountains. Lush and primeval, peaceful, and simply alive, Eden. Imagine if that was the landscape of your soul and mine. The miracle of such an interior landscape is that inevitably and happily, it spills out like a vine over the stone wall and through the gates, greening up our relationships, our work, our vision of the world, but especially our faith. St. Hildegard said, Humanity, take a good look at yourself. Inside, you've got heaven and earth and all of creation. You will understand little of what is around you until you use what is in you. Jesus told the parable of the wedding feast. Tables are set with fragrant bouquets of flowers. Candles are glowing. The calf is roasting. Wine is flowing. The bread is dripping with olive oil, milk and honey spill from jugs on the table. God is the host calling from the gate. Come, enjoy the celebration. But you and I pay no attention to the extraordinary invitation offered. Amidst the busy busyness, the need to perform and accumulate, the heavy weight of life's responsibilities, the inevitable heartbreaks, and the belief that there will always be more time, we bow out of the party, the deep and the wide and the soulful life that God is offering us. Angela Celius, a 17th century priest and mystic, said, Paradise is at your center. Unless you find it there, there is no way to enter. Thomas Merton, my favorite, said, We are full of paradise without knowing it. Jesus said, you will not be able to say, look here, or look there, or here it is, or there it is, for the kingdom of God is within you. The human story, documented in the Bible and currently being lived out in our present day lives, reveals a universal internal drama of exile and return, exile and return.
We continually expel ourselves from the metaphorical Eden. We ignore the wisdom of our souls and we take for granted our connection with God. I can make the journey in and out of Eden in one thought. The moment I lose my sense of wonder and gratitude for my life, I'm out of Eden. The moment I allow bitterness and resentment and hurt in my relationships to rule my thoughts and my actions, I'm out. The moment I let fear speak loud over everything else in my life, fear for my health and the health of those I love, fear for finances, fear for my kids' safety and well-being, fear for the state of this world, fear of death, I'm out. The moment I allow social media, texting and Facebook and Instagram to substitute for pressing flesh, for giving hugs and face-to-face -face I love yous, I'm out. The moment I suffer a great disappointment and I let it define me or stop me, I'm out. The moment I let go of God's hand, I choose the secular over the sacred. I ignore the needs of my soul and I relegate God for safekeeping until I need something, I'm out. There is another reality just beyond the hedge, the stone gate, the secular, the imperfect, and the broken. An Eden where God is offering you and me inner peace, absolute truth, a chance for wholeness, day-to-day -day healing, contentment, delight, forgiveness, beauty, hope, lots of hope. If I stepped through the gates of your intimate life, or you entered mine, would there be a sign on the soul's gate marking this way to Eden? Does where you live in mind and body and spirit, dreams and faith, have something of heaven planted in it? Do you realize that the kingdom of God lives in you? Sometimes, not in a while, only in glimpses? How do we find Eden? As F. Scott Fitzgerald once wrote, it is never too late or too early to live a life you're proud of. I believe God is aggressively trying to help us with experiences, certain people placed on our path, a nature moment, and through the prescient words of saints and saviors. God is leaving, a, leaving us breadcrumb trails of hope everywhere, in the easy and in the challenging, in the setbacks and the triumphs. Can we follow the treasure map? Daily it is a struggle to find, but most especially to abide in Eden. I wish it was a snap of the fingers, but it's not. A friend I admire has a tattoo on the inside of his left wrist that reads, do the work. To live in Eden, you have to be willing to do the heart work. With that in mind, I'd like to offer you seven soulful steps on the path to Eden living. Number one, spend time in nature. Meister Eckhart said, all of nature is a book about God. In Genesis 28, Adam and Eve heard God walking in their garden. Nature restores, 
find the silence. Time in the trees puts life in perspective. It reaffirms the sacred reality available to us. There is a reason the Bible opens and closes in a garden. Jesus himself chose nature as a place to teach, to speak to his Father, to eat, to pray, to bless, to heal and perform miracles, to refresh himself for the demands of mortal life. Do not underestimate or take for granted the simplicity of a bird song, a walk through a tall pine forest, the speed of a hummingbird in flight, or the sound of the evening owl soliloquy. The delicious silence, the greenness, the blueness, the warmth of the sun, they all heal us, even save us one vignette of beauty at a time. Want to experience Eden? Do as they say in Jackson Hole and let the outside in. Run to the trees. It's your chapel, your confessionary, your evergreen altar. It's your chance to have a close encounter with God. When the world is too loud, too harsh, find a square inch of green and reset. The beauty will save you. Number two is relationships. Now there is no quicker way to get in or be kicked out of Eden by a personal relationship gone awry. Unhealthy relationships taint the spiritual well. Engagements with other human beings, whether related by blood or life circumstance, they expose our flaws, they expose our insecurities, our fragility, and our surface faith. In the same breath, our relationships can re reveal the best in us and the best in others. And as Victor Hugo wrote in Les Miserables, allow us to see the face of God. To find the Eden of the soul, we must mend, we must lift up, we must forgive and nurture, we must even sacrifice for the relationships that are integral to who we are. Our relationships are our legacy. Remember to walk in another's shoes so you know where they've been, but more importantly, where they desperately hope to be going. Take all of this information into account and then engage. The goal is less duels and more prodigal homecomings. Show up at the door of someone who has hurt you or you may have hurt as well and say the words and mean them. I forgive your trespasses, forgive me mine. Jealousy and envy, anger and resentment and an inability to let things go are spiritual quicksand. When all God wants for us here is a lightness of being. If you follow my weekly blog, Bread and Honey, you won't be surprised that number three is food and fellowship. Something I believe Jesus took very seriously. You eat one of my dark chocolate love muffins, or you peel a South Carolina peach and you let the juice drip from your chin, smear some of my just harvested honey on a baguette, and you can imagine you've tasted Eden. But it's more than that. Something transcendent happens around the table. It is why we break bread and drink wine with Jesus every week. When we serve one another a roasted chicken, my homemade pesto, a ripe melon, or a peach cobbler, what we are actually serving is love and mercy and hope. Souls are fed 
We are truly feasting in Eden. Number four, find your purpose and go after it. Joseph Campbell said the ultimate hero's journey is to follow one's bliss. There is something, many things, that you are here to do that only you can do on behalf and for God. Howard Thurman said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Soul joy is found when you get busy and you plain go after something. A dream, a hope, a love mission. It could be teaching or cooking or speaking or parenting or healing. Whatever turns your soul on. This week, I went to the funeral for Dr. Roy Elam. He was a mentor and a friend. We had a lot in common. Our love of nature, the poet Wendell Berry, spending time on the mountain at Swanee, and our interest in healing. He founded the Osher Center for Integrative Medicine here in Nashville, whose mission was to heal the mind and the body, but especially the spirit. Fifteen years ago, I was just beginning to find my calling, and he believed in me. Dr. Elam said, you know, Farrell, in the deep Appalachian Mountains, the poorest of the poor, they don't say, can I help you? They say, can I hope you? Can I hope you? Somewhere, somehow, that has to be part of your personal mission and destiny to give hope to another. Mark Chagall, my all-time favorite artist, said it this way, if life inevitably moves toward its end, we must, during our own, color with our own colors of love and hope. Number five, grow and evolve. Picasso said, we don't grow old, we ripen. I love that. We're here to discover who we are and all that we can be. Life is a classroom that stretches and tests and breaks and mends and refines and improves and expands us. We must participate in many personal resurrections over our lifetime. Fail and then rise and then do it again. An Eden spirit is resilient. Life is an adventure. Live in expectation of what God is going to do in your life next. One of you sent me a card for my birthday this summer, which I so appreciated. But inside the card it said, trust that some of the best days of your life haven't even happened yet. Be brave. Trust God to help you. More importantly, live soul first and soul full. Number six, fall in love. Fall in love with people and places and new experiences, but especially fall in love with God. Ultimately, we are a soul having a human body experience, and the soul craves the divine and the transcendent. It proclaims you are so much more than dust. Get to know your inner self, the part of you that not only resembles God, but reflects God in this world. Daily, you have to pick up the conversation. 
in prayer, in silence, in action, and in hope. God cannot be an asterisk in your life. The footnote at the bottom of the page that reads, reach out to God only in a crisis. Faith at its most simple and profound is a mutual declaration between the soul and God. I am yours, you are mine. I am yours, you are mine. So my husband has the green thumb in our family. He tenderly cares for our vegetable garden, our herb garden, and our fruit trees. This summer we were away a lot, and so David made sure that the garden was well taken care of. We returned from our travels, and he was welcomed by a farm of basil, tomatoes, peaches, and wildflowers aplenty. So my only responsibility was the single lantana plant, which I had purchased because I read that they bring butterflies. I figured the plant would be fine. It's going to rain here and there. Now, honestly, I just forgot about it. Only to return to a plant that looked like it had been set on fire, not a green leaf, dry, crisp, and brown. The same thing can happen in our spiritual life if we're not careful. For whatever reason, we think our faith can fend for itself, that we are like the succulent plant that requires little water or tender care, when in reality, we are more weeping willow, must be planted by a water source to flourish, rooted in the divine. We have to do the heart work. The garden needs a gardener. So spiritually, if you're feeling like Nashville in the middle of August, Tell God, read Psalm 139 to remember that there is no place you can go that God is not there with you. Or read that beautiful passage in Job where God tells you who he is and how much you mean to him. Listen to the tender voice of Jesus in the gospels as he speaks of a love plan in place and assures us that all will be well. We all are going to experience parched seasons where we don't hear God doing a walkabout in our personal garden. Faith is believing from the last time you felt God to the next time you feel God. I love what Richard Rohr, the author and Franciscan priest, says, Life is one great cosmic trust walk. And I would add, don't let go of God's hand. This may surprise you, but Eden can also be found in suffering. Recently, sitting at the bedside of someone near their last breath, I was invited into their Eden. I was a witness to a peace beyond my own understanding. Sometimes it is at our edge that we experience Eden most profoundly. Reflecting over my own life, it's been in the most challenging seasons. My son's cancer, September 11th, friends' much too early funerals, loss, disappointment, relationship discord, and spiritual doubt that I have walked the deepest in Eden with God by my side. Vulnerability and desperation make the eye keen for sightings of beauty, rays of hope, and love from those who hold us dear. A silver lining to suffering is the Band-Aid ripoff that gets us down to the essentials. Struggle and heartbreak will open gates within yourself that you never dreamed possible. Sometimes it's less about finding Eden 
and more about surrendering to Eden. And finally, to live in Eden is to participate in the larger picture. To live in Eden is to make possible Eden for others. It requires selflessness, a fierce will, pursuit of justice, and genuine love of others. Our souls know what is right and true. St. John of the Cross said, in the evening of life, we will be judged on love alone. How much love can you give away? Make Eden a reality for another, and you will find yourself there as well. That is the promise. The truth, there is an Eden in you and in me. Find it. Find it again and again. At our best, our lives hope to reflect a little of God's creativity, beauty, mercy, hope, and especially love. Tend the secret inner garden. Live soul first and soul full. Evolve, forgive, set a table for many. Say thank you. Give your heart away at every chance. Look for the goodness and the beauty and then broadcast it. Trust God always. Amen.